This morning, uh, we are here to um, look into a, just a special sort of sermon. We've come out of uh, the uh, finishing up 1 Corinthians, and we were looking a lot at the body of Christ. And uh, this morning, we're going to, I, I hope you're awake uh, today, because I'm going to sort of lean into you right from the start, uh, sort of no mercy, uh, no matter how early you got up or how late you got up this morning. There's a couple of big words that are going to be incredibly useful for our understanding of the Bible and how the Bible speaks to us as Christians. And these big words I want to teach you this morning, you, you might know them, but not in this context. And uh, you've not, you probably haven't used these words in at least a year. In fact, you may not have used these words, even though you know them. I would be surprised if you've used these words maybe in the last 10 years, uh, maybe if you're a teacher. Um, but they're, they're words that are important and we need to learn what they mean specifically, why they're important to our understanding of what the Bible is teaching us. And the first word is indicative. Indicative. Now, who here knows what indicative means? Anybody brave enough to put up their hand and say, I know. Go ahead, Leslie. I saw that hand go up. Yeah, it's indicative. All right, it's speaking to something. What is indicative? The next word is Imperative. So we have indicative and imperative. Anybody know what imperative means? What's an imperative? Important? Yeah, it is important, but it's a command. Exactly. It's an imperative. So indicative then. Let's take a look at indicative. You've got to be with me this morning. I told you I was going to jump in. You've got to stay with me no matter how late you stayed up and how early you got up. So indicative is pertaining to the mood of the verb used for ordinary object, objective statements, okay? So an indicative indicates something about somebody, like Devon is fast and strong. That's an indicative statement. It, it's an objective statement. Devon is fast and Devon is strong. An imperative is a command. It's pertaining to the mood of the verb used in commands. So Devon, join the football team. That's a command. That's an imperative. And so we have indicatives and imperatives. Now, be honest. How many people have used the word indicative, imperative, or imperative any time in the last year? Well, one, one person, probably a Bible teacher, a couple of people. Outside of the context of, of Bible study, you've used indicative and imperative? Oh, you're teachers, so that's why. So yeah, they're not words we use a lot, indicative and imperative. But the distinction is that an indicative is something that is, and an imperative is something that is commanded. And what we want to see in Scripture today is how often, and with such matter-of-factness, the Scriptures tell us objective statements, which are indicatives, about who we are in Christ, with Christ, and like Christ. So the Scripture is filled with indicative statements, that we are in Christ, that Christ is in us, and that we are with Christ. And so if I just do a computer search on the phrase in Christ, I get about 85 hits in the New Testament, 85 times that the scripture says we are in Christ. And then if you expand that to pronouns like in him and in the Lord as well, there's over 100 objective statements about who Christians are in Christ, indicative statements. And so the idea here is that God is not a million miles away. He's not giving us blessings here and there or dropping them on us from someplace far away now and again. But in fact, there's an objective reality of the presence of Christ with us and an identity that we have in Christ. And that it changes the way we understand Scripture and it's the way we understand the new covenant to understand the indicatives come before the imperatives. And so I'm just going to go through here fairly quickly, and I'm just going to look at some of these 
indicative statements that we have in the New Testament. As you read through the New Testament, this is what you would find. Examples of being in Christ. And if I was to look through that list, I would see that we are redeemed in Christ. It says in Romans 3.24, it says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It says that we are alive to God in Christ in Romans 6.11. It says that we have eternal life in Christ, Romans 6.23. It says the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.1 says that there is no condemnation in Christ. We keep running into this phrase, in Christ, these factual statements about who we are in Christ. But do we ever stop and think? You can just sort of read through those verses and you sort of skip over the in Christ thing. And you wonder, what does that mean? What does it mean that we're in Christ? All these things that we have in Christ Jesus or in the Lord or in Him. If we were to go on, we would say that we are free in Christ, Romans 8 and Galatians 2. Nothing can separate us from God in Christ, Romans 8, 39. We speak the truth in Christ, Romans 9, 1. We are one body in Christ, Romans 12, 5. We possess the grace of God, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 4, in Christ. We are wise in Christ. We, have, we are established in Christ, 2 Corinthians 1, 21. We're triumphant in Christ, 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Uh, I'm not going to do them all. We're faithful in Christ, Ephesians 1, 1. We're seated in heaven in Christ, Ephesians 2, 6. We glory in Christ, Philippians 1, 26. We have the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, 5. We have the love of for each other in Christ, 1 Timothy 1.14. We are bold in Christ, Philemon 1.8. We share in Christ, Hebrews 3.14. You can go on and on and on. The Bible says in the New Testament over and over and over again, we are all these things in Christ. That in Christ, we are all these things. There are many objective statements, all of them in a category of statements that speak to a doctrine that we would call our union in Christ, that as Christians, we are united with Christ. That we are something in Christ. That everything that we do, everything that we be, everything that we possess, we possess in Christ Jesus. And so when we think of being thankful this morning, I want you to start thinking for yourselves, and we'll have a few minutes at the end, to just be able to give thanks for the things that we are as Christians in Christ. Because it's over a hundred times in the New Testament, we are told over and over and over again, this is who you are in Christ. This is what you have in Christ. These are people you are. These are things you possess in Christ. Grace and love and faith and glory. We were created in Christ. All these things. We were in Christ a long time ago. All the way back to the eternal plan of God. Ephesians 1.4 that says that God chose us in him. That's in Christ. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So we've been in Christ for a long time. Before we were a gleam in our mom and dad's eyes. Before Jesus. Before the pyramids. Before, you know, go back as far as you want to go. Before those cave paintings that they found in wherever that was, Australia, that they say, or however old they are. We were in Christ, Ephesians 1.4 says, that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And then when God looked forward to us, God thought of us as being united with Christ. So you're a Christian here today. God has always thought of you as united with Christ. From before the foundation of the world, as he was looking forward in time, and he was looking at Sue, or he was looking at Graham, or he was looking at Nancy, he was looking at us and seeing us as united in Christ. 2 Timothy 1 8 to 9, it says that we are saved according to his purpose, and the grace that he gave us is in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before time even started, he gave us grace in Christ Jesus. 
And then while Jesus was here on earth, before we were born, God could observe the life of his son, Jesus, on earth, Jesus being obedient, living the life that we couldn't live in obedience to God, and he could view our lives as being obedient in Christ. It says, by one man's obedience will many be made righteous. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. God raised us with Christ. God at that time, in the life of Jesus, if you go back 2,000 years ago, God was looking at the life of Jesus and saying, all those people, all those Christians, all those people are all in this life of Christ. And I see them in the life of Christ. I see them living the obedient life that Christ lived. I see them being crucified with Christ, being raised with Christ. As Christians, we are in Christ in his life. This is what the scripture tells us. And so God saw that Jesus was being obedient on behalf of all of us. And Jesus died on behalf of all of us. And Jesus was raised and we are in his death and we are in his resurrection. And in Christ is who we are as Christians. And with regard to our salvation, we are called in Christ, 1 Corinthians 7.22. We are regenerated in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. We are justified in Christ, Galatians 2.17. We are sanctified in Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.2. We die in Christ, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. We are made alive in Christ, 1 Corinthians 15.22. We're united in Christ in all of our salvation. Like when I was sort of doing the search and looking at all these different verses and I had the big list on the side of my screen of all of them, I could not believe how many times it just kept repeating, in Christ, in Christ, in him, in the Lord, in Christ. Over and over and over again, as you go through the New Testament, you see, and this is why I said this is going to change, I think, how you look at the New Testament. Over and over and over again, it tells us every time that everything that we are as Christians, we are in Christ. That it is in Christ that we are all the things that we are and we have all the things that we have. That's why Christ is the center That's why Christ is the focal point of everything we are as Christians. It says that we're united to Christ in all of our salvation, and it says that if there is a new life, even today, even this morning, there's a new life that's united to Christ, all those things I talked about as Christians. 1 John 5.11, when John is talking about his testimony, he says, this is the testimony that God gave us, and this is the life, this life that I have is in his Son. Or in Ephesians 1.3, who has... He who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In other words, do you have joy in your heart this morning? That didn't just happen. That happens in Christ. Do you have fellowship and a sense of closeness with other believers? That didn't just happen on its own. That happened in Christ, right? Do you have a sense of forgiveness that you are free from the guilt of your sin because of what Christ Jesus did as a Christian? You have that sense in your heart that didn't just come from anywhere. That came from in Christ. All these blessings that we enjoy come from being in Christ as Christians. Good behavior even in Christ. All of our actions can be done in Christ, right? Romans 9.1, Romans 15, Ephesians 6.10, Philippians 2.1, 2 Timothy 3.12. There's this new realm of power. There's this new reality of Christians that when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and when we basically let go of our lives to him, we have this new power and this new reality that everything we do and all of our activities are not done on our own. They're done in Christ. We can be proud of our work. We can speak the truth. We can command. We can exhort. We can be strong. We can do all these things in Christ. And so all of that, just to to take a, a glance across all of the New Testament and see everything that we are in Christ. And that should be having an effect in our heart if we're Christians, right? You should be thinking, yeah, 
this is joyful. This is all the things I am in Christ. It should be, you should look at all of these scriptures again and again and again and the repetition of it and the repeated emphasis of it of all the things we are in Christ and it should be bringing hope into us. It should be rising joy in our heart. It should be having an effect on us. Secondly, Christ is in us, not just that we are in Christ, but Christ is in us. Galatians 2.20, Colossians 1.27, John 3.24, Romans 8.9-10, we're told again that Christ is in us. Galatians says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Colossians says, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 John 3.24, those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And so not only are we in Christ, but Christ is in us. And then thirdly, we are with Christ. Well, there's this personal relationship with Christ. Matthew 28, 20 says, Behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Corinthians 1, 9, God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. In fellowship with his son. Colossians 3, 3, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then union with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. John 17 and John 16 and 1 Corinthians 3.16 and Romans 8.9 tells us that we are all together, Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit together. So you say, okay, Paul, what's that all that about? That was, that's good. That's, we, we got the big picture. We got all of, all of that, that we are in Christ, that we're with Christ, that Christ is with us, that we're in God, that the Holy Spirit is in us. And it has that effect, I'm getting it, that as I run through those verses, that, that those of us that are in Christ, that identify with Christ, that we've been given Christ, that it's, it's having an effect, there's a joy, there's a confidence, there's a glory, that we are all these things in Christ, I get that. But now we go back to those two words. This is what I want you to notice. This is what I want to focus on and take away. The application is at the end here. didn't set you up at the beginning. All of these statements that we are in Christ are all indicatives. They're not commands. They're objective statements about who we are and what we have in Christ. They're not commands to do something. They're telling us that we are something. They're all indicatives. Everything I have listed is a fact. It's a reality. It's a truth about who we are as Christians. They're all indicative statements. Not one of them is a command. And so I said those two words would be foundational to our understanding of the Christian life. And this is the foundation. And if you don't get this, then you don't really get Christianity yet. Because this is the foundation that lays on those two words of indicative and imperative. When the Bible speaks to us as Christians, the pattern in which the Bible speaks is never to do in order to be. But the pattern of the Bible speaking to Christians is to be in order to do. In other words, you are something and you have been giving some, given something and therefore do something because you are that person, right? Or state it differently. Let me state it differently. If we must increasingly understand the indicatives, we have to understand and make these things real in our heart, understand the indicatives, the objective truth about ourselves resulting from our being in Christ if we are going to make progress in the imperatives, the commands of Christ. If we're going to make any progress in being good Christians, we have to get into our hearts that we are Christians, that we are these things in Christ in order to follow the commands. The Bible never puts it the other way around. It never says, do these things so that you can become a good Christian. 
It says you are a Christian and you are all these things and you have all these things in Christ, so therefore go and do these things. It's not the other way around. The indicatives come before the imperatives. Or we can talk about it differently. We could say that the pattern of the Christian life in Scripture is not one where we're commanded in order to do and be in order to become and have. Rather, the pattern of the Christian life is that because of who we are and what we possess in Christ, then we can be and do the things that please and glorify God. Don't we want to please and glorify God? Isn't that what we want to do? Don't we sit at home some nights or go by some weeks and think, I'm not really leading a life that's pleasing to God, and I don't know whether what I'm doing is really glorifying God, and I wish I could please God, and I wish I could glorify God. I mean, if you're a Christian, you have to say yes to that question. Don't we want to please and glorify God? Yes. You're not a Christian if you're not answering yes to that question. We want to please and glorify God as Christians. And so when you ask yourself, you think, what do I got to do to please and glorify God? You have to understand who you are in Christ and what he has given you in Christ to be able to do the things, follow the imperatives that, glo- that please God and glorify Christ. I'll get an example here because I'm not sure that I'm getting through to you yet. So I got another example. I'll get through to you eventually. Keep going. Go back. There we are. What's with the squirrel? There's a reason for the squirrel. Or chipmunk, sorry, the chipmunk. There's a reason for the chipmunk. This is what I mean, because I'm not sure I'm getting through to you. If I was to go in my backyard, and I got lots of chipmunks, if I was to go in my backyard and catch a chipmunk, first of all, imagine I could catch a chipmunk, and then somehow I could speak chipmunkies, and I could tell this chipmunk sitting in my hand, I squeaky, squeak, squeaker, whatever, and I'm talking to this chipmunk, and I say to the chipmunk, chipmunk? Grow wings and fly so that you can become a bird. I want you to grow wings and fly so that you can be a bird. And the chipmunk, if he spoke chipmunk back to me and I could understand it, would say, you're crazy. What are you talking about grow wings and fly so I can become a bird? But imagine if I had birds in my hand and I could speak in perfect birdies. And I, and I, and I said to the bird, I said, bird, you've got wings. Fly. And he fly. And that's what I'm talking about. What the, the pattern of Scripture is the indicative of what we are and what we've been given comes before the imperative, the command to please God and glorify God. Right? So as Christians, we are not chipmunks that God has said, grow wings and fly so that you can become a bird. He's made us birds with wings so that we can fly and wants us to fly to give him glory and praise. Do you get it now? You see what I'm saying? (laughs) Is that getting through? Because if I don't think it's getting through, I'll go back and start over. So I need some (laughs) amens or something. (laughs) Okay, so the pattern of what I'm saying, the pattern of the Christian life, the pattern of what we are taught in the New Testament is it's not God saying, do and and, and try all these things in order that you can become a good Christian. It's, I have made you righteous in Christ. I have justified you in Christ. I have called you in Christ. I'm sanctifying you in Christ. You have these spiritual blessings in Christ. You are strong in Christ. You are faithful in Christ. So now you have all these things. Go and be the thing that you are. And if we don't go through that list of a hundred indicatives 
which is what we are in Christ, and believe those things about ourselves, then we'll never be able to go and do the things that please God and live out the Christian life that he's expecting. So plant your feet on the indicatives. Plant your feet and count them as fact that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ, that you were crucified in Christ, that you were buried in Christ, that you were raised in Christ if you're a Christian, and that all these other things, all those things I talked about in the middle of the message there, all those things are true of you. So you can get up in the morning and you can look in the mirror before you shave and before the makeup goes on or the wrinkler concealer or the Botox or whatever. And you can look at that person in the mirror and you can say that man, that woman in the mirror is all of these things in Christ. You can have the list of the hundred of them right there beside your mirror and you can tell yourself every day, I am those things in Christ. And you plant your feet on those indicatives and it gives you the strength to go and accomplish the imperatives. To go and love other people the way Christ loved you. To go and forgive people who have offended you. To go and reach out to those in need. To live a a, a life that is righteous and above reproach in a way that brings glory to God. And he is glorified and pleased. We celebrate the indicatives. We give thanks for the indicatives. We give thanks to God for the truth of who we are because God has done them and they're certain. And the indicatives transform us. They, they move our hearts. They set us free. They break us free of bondage. They allow us to make progress in our Christian life. In the imperatives, the indicatives accomplish the imperatives so that we can please and glorify God as we desire to do. And so this morning, that's, that's what I wanted to aim at. I just wanted to sort of aim at this idea of all these things that we are in Christ and get across the idea that we are not the chipmunks. That God has said, you have to grow some wings and sprout some feathers so that you can become a bird. God has made us birds through the death and resurrection of his son. Through the forgiveness of sins that is there for us if we ask for it. And when we have been transformed into that bird, then God just keeps telling us over and over and over again, over a hundred times, you're a bird, you're a bird, you're a bird. You have wings, you have feathers, you can fly. Paul never gives instruction to the church. The pattern, if you go through the scripture, he never gives the instruction to the church, the the imperative, without first talking about the indicative. Right? If you go to Romans 6, he goes through the indicatives. He says, you um, died with Christ, you were crucified with Christ, you will be raised with Christ, and if you've done all those things, then reckon yourself dead to sin. Right? He doesn't say reckon yourself dead to sin so that you can claim all these things in Christ. He says you are all these things in Christ, so then reckon yourself dead to sin and don't let sin reign in your body because you are all those things. Or in 1 Corinthians, and he's talking to the 1 Corinthians, he says, don't you know all these things are true about you? Don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that the Spirit of God resides in you? So therefore, don't take that body that the Spirit of God resides in and go and couple it with immorality. He says you are all those things, and so because you are all those things then here's the imperative. Don't go do those things. But Paul, John, Peter, Jesus, the whole scripture, they never give us the don't do these things or do these things without first giving us the indicatives of who we are. You got to look at the Bible that way. And you have to give thanks. And what we want to do this morning is just give thanks for who we are in Christ. That we're not chipmunks told to grow wings and fly. But in Christ, we're already transformed into birds with the ability to fly. And God just wants us to do what we are and be who he's made us. Let's pray. Father God, as we just take some time now, I just pray that this message gets across to our hearts. That you have said over and over and over and over again in your scripture 
that those who come to you are transformed, made into a new creation, that those who come to you um, are loved by you, are washed free of their sin, are restored into a perfect relationship with you, are counted as righteous, are justified, are set in heaven at the right hand with Jesus. Father, all of these things are true of who we are. And so we want to give thanks as Christians for who we are this morning. And Father, we know that these things are there for those who aren't there yet, who haven't become that yet, that they just need to ask. And you're willing to transform them in that way, to set them free from all the bondage, from all the the things that are holding them down to the ground. And so, Lord, that they could receive these gifts from you, the freedom and the love and the grace and the mercy that you have made us in Christ. But, Lord, then we want to give thanks even now that as we gather together here as your children on Thanksgiving Day, that that we gather together to give thanks for the things that you have, for what you have made us and the things that we are thankful for that you have blessed us with. And so I know that even as we sit here now, there are things that we can think of that we are thankful for in Christ. And we want to lift those thanks up to you even now. In Jesus' name, amen.